0: From ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness
1: News Extra Time. Breaking right now, cheers in the city council after an act of political defiance against Mayor Adams. The council overriding his vetoes on two criminal justice bills, including the controversial How Many Stops Act. And good evening, it's good to have you with us. I'm Josh Einiger and we are following breaking news from City Hall tonight after an historic rebuke of the mayor by an overwhelming majority of the city council. The How Many Stops Act requires officers to record the apparent race, gender, and ages of people they stop in so-called low-level encounters when cops ask for information from people who aren't suspected of a crime. That amounts to millions of encounters every year, and the NYPD says filling out a form for everyone is simply too time-consuming for cops and keeps them away from solving a crime. But even more council members voted to override the mayor, than voted for the bill in the first place. So. What's next? Eyewitness News reporter N.J. Burkett is at City Hall. An emotional crescendo
2: after days of tension at City Hall. Landmark legislation intended to enhance transparency at the NYPD adopted here in a landslide vote. Mayor Adams is urging the council to amend the language. In the end, the support was overwhelming. Council members embraced and wept openly in the council chamber an emotional ending to a tense showdown at City Hall. The city council voting 42 to nine to override the mayor's veto.
3: Black and Latino New Yorkers continue to be disproportionately subjected to unconstitutional stops that go underreported. Civilian complaints of misconduct are at their highest levels in a decade. These stops can no longer happen in the shadows because the pain and trauma they inflict on communities have long lasting impact. The How Many Stops Act will require
2: officers to complete a short form on their smartphones each time they have even a casual encounter with a civilian. It's intended to provide the clearest picture yet of who's being stopped and why. Supporters of the bill believe that the NYPD is still racially profiling New Yorkers.
1: The amount of misinformation Verifiably exaggerated and false claims about this bill has been unacceptable.
2: Officers already report higher level investigative stops. NYPD officers make 8.5 million lower level or level one stops every year. Critics say documenting them will slow down manhunts or emergency responses.
1: That'll delay critical response. Stands to reason, if police are filling out, whether you want to call it paperwork or digital work, they're still going to have to answer questions and up to, and on the level one, up to 11 questions.
2: The override was a stunning defeat for Mayor Adams, who's insisted that the city will be less safe. He says he's determined to work with the council majority to amend language in the bill to exempt low level encounters. We have to draft out how to do it. The second thing is we need to really engage with a process Of encouraging the council members to amend. Supporters of the bill say they're willing to work with the mayor, but to a point. The emotional high point of the day playing out on the floor of the city council chamber. Again, Mayor Adams says he is determined to work with the council to amend the bill, to work on the language. Supporters say they're willing to listen. At City Hall and Jay Burkett Channel 7 Eyewitness News.
1: And the city council also voted to override the mayor's veto of a ban of a bill banning solitary confinement. That also passed the veto, the override rather, by a 42 to 9 vote. The measure requires city jails to allow inmates to leave their cells for at least 14 hours. Every day, it also places a four-hour limit on isolating inmates who pose an immediate risk of violence to themselves or others. Adams had cited concerns raised by a federal monitor who's been appointed to evaluate operations at the city's jails. That's one of the reasons he says he vetoed the bill, but lawmakers overrode him anyway to Washington now. And House Republicans took a big step closer toward impeaching a top Biden administration cabinet official. They blame Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for willfully ignoring immigration law at the southern border. Democrats and some nonpartisan legal scholars say there's no evidence to support this strictly partisan effort. ABC's Ike Ajaji is live in Washington now. And Ike, do they have the votes to impeach?
4: Well, here's the thing. This whole effort is unprecedented. An impeachment of a cabinet official over policy differences, all while efforts to strengthen the southern border are stalled.
5: We cannot allow this man to remain in office any longer.
4: House Republicans making their case today to remove Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas from office.
5: Secretary Mayorkas, has put his political preferences above following the law.
4: And throughout the hearing, Democrats criticizing the GOP's attempts to
6: impeach Mayorkas. The hypocrisy is the least of it. Your attack on the rule of law and our democracy is the worst of it. And you better be careful about the bed that you make.
4: Still, Republicans justifying their impeachment effort by questioning Mayorkas's honesty.
2: He comes in here and he raises his hand and he swears to tell the truth. And then he lies when he says the border's secure. He lies when he says that the border is
4: not open. Republicans are advancing charges against Mayorkas, accusing him of willful and systemic refusal to comply with the law and breach of public trust. Mayorkas firing back in a preemptive letter that charges against him are baseless and inaccurate, adding, I assure you that your false accusations do not rattle me and do not divert me. Still, a bipartisan Senate bill to strengthen the southern border appears to be going nowhere, with the House speaker calling it a non-starter.
5: But from what we've seen, clearly what's been what's been suggested is in this bill is not enough to secure the border.
4: President Biden saying he's exhausted all of his executive authority to address the immigration crisis, telling Congress he needs money to do it now.
1: Give me the border patrol. Give me the people, give me the people to judge. Give me the people who can stop this and make it work.
4: Well, House Speaker Johnson says he plans to bring the articles of impeachment to the floor quickly, likely next week. It's highly unlikely the democratically controlled Senate would convict, Josh.
1: Right, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, Ike, Ike Ajaji. Live in Washington. Thanks for that. We're going to move on now to the accurate forecast. Meteorologist Jeff Smith is here now. and. Wow, it's been a dreary and depressing few days.
5: I was just going to say, dreary, great minds think alike, right, uh, Josh? Here's a look outside right now. And, you know, we've had a couple of snowflakes showing up on this camera as we look off to the south, and it's looking a little bit hazy down toward One World Trade, so there could be a little snow shower or even mixed in with a couple of raindrops moving over the city right now, 37 degrees in Central Park, a southeast wind coming in pretty light around 2 miles per hour, but it's that onshore flow. It's very moist, and it could contain a couple of sprinkles and or flurries into the overnight hours of tonight. The high today, 38 after a morning low of 35. Temperatures actually a couple degrees below average for this time of the year. The record 64 set back in 2006, sun setting at 510 p.m., well above average in terms of precipitation for this month. Of course, much of that, the vast majority in the form of rainfall. And speaking of that, you see these precipitation chances overnight, not zero. They're about 20 percent. So there could be a sprinkle. There could be a flurry or two around. Flurries uh, mainly limited to areas west of New York, city where it's going to be a little bit colder than uh, 35 degrees, which we're down to around midnight tonight. And the city might be getting closer to freezing areas off to the west. By the way, down the Jersey Shore until 4 a.m. Wednesday, this coastal flood advisory has been extended. We have another high tide cycle coming up later on this evening. So along Barnegat Bay uh, due to this onshore wind, we came off a full moon several days ago, could be up to a half a foot of inundation over normally dry ground, maybe some minor splash over at the time of high tide. 39 at Newark, 34 at White Plains, you're talking about numbers close to the freezing mark. Newburgh over towards Sussex. And where you do fall down to freezing, obviously, with that moist atmosphere in place and maybe a little bit of drizzle or flurries coming in, could be some slick spots north and west of the city overnight tonight. And speaking of that, check it out on the radar. These returns are showing up, moving in from the Atlantic Ocean from southeast to northwest, the opposite direction from which most weather moves around here. But we get a wind coming in from that direction. So there could be a little snow shower, rain shower moving on to the south shore of Long Island, certainly moving over parts of Staten Island and a couple of sprinkles down the Jersey Shore as well. And they can continue at times overnight tonight. Nothing particularly heavy, but don't be surprised if you see a few raindrops or even a couple of snowflakes overnight tonight, even into the first half of tomorrow, especially west of New York City. Now check out this wind continuing to come in from an easterly direction so we're socked in with that cloud cover and that really moist atmosphere. We clear out for a time tomorrow night but then clouds roll back in again as we head into the day on Thursday. So dreary definitely the name of the game as we head into Friday. Chance that we get a shower pre-dawn hours. I think we try to clear things out a little bit, but I think clouds still win out over sunshine. Cloudy with spotty drizzle and also a few flurries in the area overnight. Tonight we're down to about 34, mainly cloudy. It's a touch of drizzle or a few flurries around mainly morning and west of New York City. 40 for a high. Clouds breaking tomorrow night back down into the middle 30s. Still cloudy on thir- Thursday, first day of February, but mild upper 40s. 46 on Friday. Could be an early shower. Watch for maybe a break or two of sun in the afternoon. Finally, Josh, we get some. Appreciable sunshine, Saturday, Sunday, 40s, and then we're back down into the 30s by early next week. We'll send it back over to you. We
1: definitely deserve it. We Hopefully need Hopefully it. it extends beyond day seven. That so. would be
5: nice. Okay. <laughs> All,
1: right. All right, Jeff. See you soon. Thank you. Remembrances are pouring in tonight for dynamic dancer, singer, and Tony award-winning actress Cheetah Rivera. She died today here in New York after a brief illness. She was 91. Rivera broke barriers on Broadway with a starring role in the original West Side Story and she'd become a role model for generations of Latinas as her career spanned decades. Eyewitness News reporter Sandy Kenyon knew to Rivera for years and has a look back at her life. She was an inspiration to
0: generations of Americans called the greatest musical theater dancer ever. Yet, Cheetah Rivera was remarkably humble.
5: I don't have
0: any
3: secrets.
0: I just, I, I, I danced from the age of seven, and so that's really been my life. She was born Dolores Conchita Figueroa del Rivera and broke barriers on Broadway in West Side Story, becoming a role model for generations of Hispanic women. I
2: like to be in America, okay by me in America.
0: A few years ago, Eyewitness News brought her back to the theater where it all
3: happened. It's nice to be back. I'm, I'm really getting emotional sitting in this magnificent place. It's full of dance steps and vocal notes and words and it's just filled with art.
0: The hits didn't stop there continuing with bye bye birdie. And Chicago.
4: Had all that shit.
0: That a later hit, Kiss of the Spider Woman, was all the more remarkable because it came after an auto accident in the streets of Manhattan that almost ended Rivera's career. She fought back with typical grit and determination. I say a prayer, every single night, please let me say the right words, let me give the complete, all of the gift that you've given me, dear God, let me give it back. In 2009, she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor from President Barack Obama in a White House ceremony. I wouldn't know what to do if I wasn't moving or singing a song or being a gypsy. That's the spirit of of my life, and, and I'm really so lucky. Sadie Kenyon, Channel 7 Eyewitness News.
1: Still no word on a public memorial service. The family is planning a private funeral. For now, we've posted a link to her incredible life story and all her accomplishments at ABC7 New York. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time this Tuesday night, how the Manhattan Borough President wants to make a long-standing problem, scaffolding a thing of the past. And quickly, Mark Levine joins us live next. Also ahead, a new effort to deter fare beaters, but some think it could have dangerous consequences. They're hard to miss. You see them all over the city, so called sidewalk sheds, which block out the sun sometimes for years. They're pieces of scaffolding mandated by the city to protect, protect pedestrians during construction, but sometimes construction never happens or it stalls and they sit there for years. Manhattan Borough President Mark Levine recently issued a report listing several properties in Manhattan that have been shrouded in scaffolding from six to as many as 13 years. Levine calls the scaffolding an epidemic in Manhattan and says the system needs to be reformed. Joining us now to discuss more about this is Manhattan Borough President Mark Levine. Borough President, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. So I attended an event the mayor held in Harlem, Upper Manhattan, a couple of weeks ago, he's calling it "Get Sheds Down," um, a play on "Get Stuff Done," which is his uh, his tagline. Uh, and they say they're targeting this issue. Are they Are they doing it fast enough? We have a
7: long way to go.
1: We still have almost four thousand
7: sidewalk sheds on buildings in Manhattan alone, and it's the years and years that many of them stay there that really upset so many New Yorkers. There's over 200 sheds that have been in place for five years or more. I, w- I want to commend the mayor for um, committing to address this problem. And they've pushed more aggressive fines for people who are negligent in taking down the sheds. We also need city council legislation. We have great partners in the body, Council Member Keith Powers and others. And we're looking at innovative technologies too, using drones to do inspections instead of having workers who are suspended uh there's ways we can do better to update what is a well-intentioned but at this point really outdated system
1: well so you know the system starts with this local law called local law 11 which every five years buildings over what six stories high have to be inspected typically the inspection as i understand it happens actually with a guy with binoculars across the street but then if there's a problem that they find up comes the shed um How do you reform that process? Because presumably there's a safety reason the shed has to go up in the first place.
7: Yeah, we want to keep pedestrians safe. And if there's a loose brick on a facade, you have to put a shed up to protect people. But Local 11 needs to have more flexibility. It treats a brand new steel and glass building the same way it would treat a hundred-year-old terracotta facade. Uh, It treats a building that just completed a major facade renovation the same way at Tree Swan that hasn't had a major renovation in decades um, also the design criteria need to be updated the so-called green monsters are actually stipulated in the law uh, right down to the color of green and we can do better we can have more open designs we can have netting instead of plywood we can have different colors we can have better lighting um, fewer columns uh, that'll make the experience better when we do have sheds in place. Uh, there's much more that we could do to update these laws so these sheds are on place for in place for less time, and that they look better when they are on the street.
1: I mean, I'll tell you about there was this one building where the mayor stood there, and it was it had been at the time the longest running sidewalk shed uh, in the city. Uh, the, it's a co-op board. The board president said basically every time there was a new local law 11 cycle that the DOB would add more things they had to do and they simply didn't have the money to pay for all of that construction. How do you deal with these businesses buildings, which are small businesses, don't have rent coming in? Uh, it's maintenance from people on fixed income in a lot of the, a lot of
7: cases. Sure. So look, some landlords are just outright negligent. They don't want to pay a million dollars or millions of dollars to renovate the facade. They'd rather just rent the sidewalk shed. But there are other buildings, like the one you referenced, which want to do the right thing. And these are expensive repair jobs, and they don't have the cash flow for it. Right. So we have proposed creating a zero-interest loan fund so that city can lend these buildings money, they can repair the facade, take down the shed... And it's a
1: win-win. A win-win. That sounds like a great plan. We're going to have to get back into that. I want to know more about that coming up next time we talk, but I'm going to have to leave you there. Mark Levine, borough president of the borough of Manhattan. Thanks for joining us tonight. Appreciate it. All right. Sorry to cut you off there. As we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time tonight, the MTA has launched a pilot program to deter fare evaders, but some are worrying that what the agency is doing could risk lives. A new MTA program to fight fare beaters has raised some controversy across the city. Emergency exit gates at three different stations will now take an extra 15 seconds to open. The MTA wants to see if that slows down fare beaters who would then enter through that gate. But the big question is what happens if there's a real emergency and people need to get out of the station when every second counts. I News reporter Stefan Kim has the story.
6: TO RIDE THE RAILS UNDERGROUND, THERE ARE SEVERAL WAYS TO CATCH A TRAIN. YOU CAN PAY OR YOU CAN GO OVER, MAYBE EVEN GO UNDER. OR YOU CAN TAKE WHAT MTA OFFICIALS HAVE DUBBED THE FAIR EVASION superhighway. WE'VE ALL SEEN IT. THOSE EMERGENCY GATES OPEN FROM THE INSIDE, THEN fare BEATERS FLOOD THROUGH FROM THE OUTSIDE. NOW THE MTA HAS AN IDEA ON HOW TO CRACK DOWN BY ADDING A 15-SECOND DELAY to the emergency exit gate.
0: That's a very bad idea.
6: 50 seconds is like, it, it can be dangerous. That happens all the
0: time. The TA always comes up with outrageous ways of, I guess, saving money
6: in a few weeks the gates will be reconfigured with a 15 second delay at three stations the 138th street third avenue station on the sixth line flushing avenue on the j m and z lines and the 59th street station on the four five and six lines transit officials say they chose these stations because they have enough exits for riders to quickly escape during actual emergencies the agency has already tested it at brooklyn's borough hall station they pushed the bar and pushed the bar because they were doing it as a matter of convenience and they kind of said or whatever they said, and they walked around and went out the the turnstile. So that's the goal, is to frustrate folks. The agency says fare Visions cost about $285 million in 2022. Over the last two years, it even hired private security to stand near turnstiles to deter fare beaters. The MTA is also testing out these new turnstiles at Sutphin Boulevard. They're supposed to be harder to jump over, but some riders have already figured out a hack by waving their hand over a sensor on the other side. Officials say the pilot projects are temporary fixes and that they're looking to see what works and what doesn't. As for the 15-second emergency gate delay... Not a bad idea, but I won't say it's the best idea to solve it. It's a good attempt, but I think New Yorkers will find a way to evade all that. So, you know, good luck, but it's not going to be totally effective. In Queens, Sefan Kim, Channel 7, Eyewitness News.
1: AND AS WE CONTINUE WITH EYEWITNESS NEWS EXTRA TIME TONIGHT, DOES ENDLESS SCROLLING THROUGH SOCIAL MEDIA fry YOUR KIDS' BRAINS? IT CERTAINLY FRIES A LOT OF ADULTS' BRAINS. NEW INFORMATION ON THE IMPACT OF SCREENS ON CHILDREN. NEXT. HERE'S A NEW WORD FOR YOU. DOOM SCROLLING, I.E. THE DANGERS OF SOCIAL MEDIA DOOM SCROLLING ON THE MENTAL HEALTH OF YOUNG PEOPLE. The word doom scrolling describes the tendency to continue to surf or scroll through bad news even though the news is saddening or disheartening or depressing. Just last week Mayor Adams singled out social media as a public health hazard and an environmental toxin. Here's Eyewitness News reporter Morgan Norwood.
3: 18-year-old Reason Tisden knows the struggle of social media all too well. A few months back, he had just quit his job, and to fill the downtime, he says he'd often mindlessly scroll through Instagram. Every time, like, when I would try to go to bed and I would set my alarm clock, my phone just, like, automatic muscle memory would just mm-hmm. open up Instagram. According to Pew Research, nearly half of teens say they use the Internet almost constantly.
1: Social media can be a perfect storm, where it gives teens emotional, novel content, and, at the same time, bypasses their ability to realize they needed to start their homework or they needed to sleep.
3: In fact, 42% of parents are sounding the alarm about their teens wasting too much time on social media, and 28% are concerned about the toll it's taking on their mental health. Reason says not only did he fall behind in daily tasks, but he said he began comparing himself and his life with the creators and content online. I would just feel depressed every day, like I just wasn't enough. As the pressure mounted, his mom Sarah Grotto, a licensed counselor, started picking up on signs of possible depression.
6: I did notice that his little pep was starting to diminish.
3: The way social media affects teens differs. Dr. Dave Anderson of the Child Mind Institute says research shows that most teens do not report having a negative experience on social media, but there are teens who are more vulnerable. Teens who already have a mental health diagnosis. Teens who might be prone to anxiety or
1: depression or concerned about their own body image, these teens constitute a vulnerable group.
3: Sarah says she and Reason started talking openly about his algorithm and the content he was viewing.
6: That's something that we also talk about is when to catch it, when it's starting to influence how we're feeling and then taking a break.
1: The biggest point we make to parents is they need to also be considering the things they need to make time for. So, are they making enough time for academics, and are they making enough time for in-person or real-world social experiences?
3: Morgan Norwood, Channel 7 Eyewitness News.
1: Just take away the device, that'll do the trick, or not. City Council just bucked the mayor, overriding his veto of a bill that would force serious changes on the city's 35,000 cops. He told you about it with N.J. Burkett at the beginning of this newscast. But what happens next? Eyewitness News reporter Jim Dolan is following that story. We'll have that and a whole lot more tonight on Eyewitness News at 11. For now, that's extra time for this Tuesday night. Thanks for joining us. I'm Josh Einiger. For all of us, have a good night.